You're listening to the greyhill.com's Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Barry Robertson, and welcome to Season 2. Welcome again to another Insights Podcast here on the Greyhill. Now, as we move closer to the Edinburgh Festival, we are starting to turn our attention to some very exciting acts that are on this year's Fringe. So today we have been given a real treat of speaking to Georgie Bailey and Lucy Betts from Two Boy Productions, a multi-award-winning UK-based production company dedicated to producing work across multiple art forms with emerging creatives. Hello to you both. I'm so glad that you could be here to talk about your theatre company and upcoming play Caligari on this year's Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Uh, how are you? Good. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, you for much. coming on. I really appreciate the time today. As I said um, in your intro, you're an award-winning production company, but I just love the description on your Facebook page, which is creating multidisciplinary work for for you to chew on which reminds me a bit of the Scottish production of Chewing the Fat that everyone (laughs) up here loves (laughs) a really funny Scottish comedy series for all of those that haven't heard about it can you tell us a bit about the concept behind Chew Boy and the multidisciplinary work that you do yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, first off, we we might actually get a copyright infringement because we've made a we've made an e magazine called Chew in the Fat, but we've left the G off, so hopefully we'll be all right. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, we myself and my co founder Hauk uh, founded the company in twenty eighteen, um, and we're yeah, as you said um, rightly, so we're we're all about um, supporting the development of uh, early career artists through multidisciplinary projects. Um, that's a very vague statement, so I'll, I'll dig down into that a little bit more. Um, so what we what we're all about is also creating like surrealist work. Um, so all of our projects kind of have this kind of surreal quality to them, um, which then look at kind of uh, exploring the human experience a little bit more and asking questions about who we are as people today um, and the wider kind of society around us. So uh, we kicked off with a project in 2018, which is was very much just like a kind of uh, straight up play, like nothing nothing more to it, um, just to kind of experiment with, with what our voice was and who we were and, and what we wanted to kind of achieve out of our work um, and since then we've kind of uh, developed our practice into trying to get new art forms into each other and kind of combine uh, what we do with each different project to try and make it feel fresh for an audience and to kind of uh, not let an audience uh, have an expectation of what they're going to get from us um, every single time. Um, so we've done some projects which infuse kind of film and poetry. Um, we've done some projects which look to uh, kind of play around with theatrical form um, and what you can expect from a theatre show. Um, one of our plays infused sound design quite heavily, um, DJ Baz's Year 6 Disco, which was all about primary school uh, DJ. Um, probably the less asked about it the better uh, and um and then obviously then bring us up to date with Caligari we're looking at infusing kind of acting musicians into our work um and exploring how uh, music can kind of take us through and really kind of exploring uh 1920s Germany as well and expressionism of that time um so yeah we kind of do a bit of everything um we focus on community quite a lot in our projects and our work um and trying to kind of support people as best as possible to be bold with their own work and their own practice so that we can learn from them uh, and hopefully we can give them something to whatever that may be. That sounds really, really cool. And I like the part of um, community involvement. I think that's what's missing nowadays a lot in theatre. 
And I, I also know that you are an award-winning playwright and poet in your own right. Can you share with us a little bit about your background and the role that you play within Two Boy Productions? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't like to say much about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I, I've i done a lot of different kind of courses. So I did an MA at Bristol Ulvik uh, Theatre School a couple of years back. Um, we managed to get six months in before the pandemic kicked off. Uh, so that was nice before having to uh, send ourselves over to Zoom. Um, so yeah, so and I've, I've been a member of like Soho Theatre's Writers Lab and all this kind of stuff. So I have like a kind of my own career as a playwright as well. Um, but with the company, I do a lot more kind of producing work and a lot more facilitation work and, and that kind of stuff. So I've kind of got these two strands to my work, which is uh, playwriting and then also uh, producing as well, um, which I think helps quite a lot because it kind of doesn't allow me to get kind of stuck in one particular art form and doesn't let me kind of... Uh, you know, uh, grow resentful for, for anything that I'm doing and that kind of stuff. And it allows me to work with so many more people as well. Um, so yeah, I'm having a good time as it stands. <laughs> having a good time. Uh, and that's probably, that that was probably a really awful answer to that question. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> not at all, not at all. And it's really impressive actually. And I think what's really nice is you're showing that progression that I think when you enter into the arts, you think, oh, I'm just going to be an actor. And mm. then you forget about all the other skills that you require. I wonder if you can share with us those other skills and some of the other work that you've done as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, when I first uh, started working in theatre, I uh, worked as a youth theatre um, workshop assistant, actually with Lucy. Uh, what would that have been, eight or nine years ago now? Yeah. Um, and here we are. We still, we haven't killed each other yet, which is good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the, um, so yeah, so started off doing that and sort of uh, was dabbling in kind of like assistant directing and and actually through the Ivanana Youth Theatre, which is where uh, Lucy and I started working together, kind of developed a lot of different skills. So, I mean, there was times where I was like getting involved with like making costumes and yeah. like helping out with tech and all this kind of stuff. So it was a really good kind of like training ground for me to kind of like figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And for years, I just wanted to be an actor um, and then kind of self-belief and self-doubt crept in um and was like oh maybe this isn't for me um so then sort of carried on that trail and, and started working at Chichester Festival Theatre uh doing similar kind of stuff and then kind of developed that into uh an interest for writing and, and didn't know how the first thing about it how to get into it and stuff um so actually stayed at the theatre for like three years doing various other jobs like marketing and um, helping out like doing archive work and heritage work and stuff like that as well for a bit. So yeah, I've sort of dabbled in quite a lot of stuff and I feel all of those skills have really helped me in like what I do now because it's kind of um, shown me like the wider kind of scope of, of the industry as well. Um, show me what I'm not very good at and show me what I'm really interested in as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been, yeah for want of a better word it's been quite a blessed experience so far of just kind of like seeing testing out things seeing what works for me and also then drawing on the skills that I've learned already to kind of uh, better the projects that I'm kind of trying to create and trying to write as well um, so yeah yeah I think that's similar to me actually um, done a lot of community work but I think what you've just said there is probably one of the best experiences of about theatre because it means that you get to see all angles of the business and then understand where you're good and not. And it's very, very hard to get all those skills. So I'm mm. so glad that you mentioned it because it allows others who are listening to maybe think outside the box as well and get those experiences. Mm. 
And it's not just that yourself that we've got, we've also got Lucy here. And I understand, Lucy, that you're the resident director of Two Boy Productions. Could you tell us a little bit more about that role and what it includes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as as Georgie said, we met um, uh, working in youth theatre. I was actually Georgie's director for a few <laughs> years. Um, and then I went freelance um can continue to work with youth theatre which is just the most fulfilling work and as Georgie said it gives you such a uh, a, a sort of bird's eye view of everything that goes into building a production um because by nature you know budgets are smaller you're chipping in you're putting up sets you're making props you're running around and also keeping keeping a, a group of young people engaged and excited about theatre so it's a really good starting point um and then having gone freelance Georgie and Hal approached me and said you know hey (laughs) we're revisiting a production from last year would you be interested in directing it and I said sure um and it's just sort of continued from there really and then I've I in terms of resident resident director it means that it is it's a real blessing because basically projects come along and they ask if I want to direct them first and I say yes please (laughs) um but also it it's it means that um I have a sort of uh a toe dipped in sort of the like creative direction of the company which is really exciting and a real privilege um yeah that's sort of my journey to being resident director at Chewboy and this year you actually won the Offy for Best Director for Lone Flyer. Can you share a little bit about that and what that was like, that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm actually a creative associate at the Watermill Theatre. Um, I have been since 2019, I think, um, which which has basically meant that um, I associate direct on productions um it's a it's a brilliant learning experience as well there are sort of they they've set up brilliant forums which have been were so helpful during the pandemic you know we'd meet on zoom and we'd talk about how to pitch a show to an artistic director and all that kind of stuff so it was a really nurturing environment and from that program I was asked to direct Lone Flyer in 2020 at the Watermill uh, with a cast of two and it was socially distanced (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and we had two weeks to put it on uh, and it was quite intense and uh, that happened and it was the most incredible and fulfilling experience and then lockdown two I want to say happened and it got shut down which was um, really really sad but it, we got at least you know two weeks out of it um, <laughs> and then in 2021 um, German Street Theatre uh, who have had connections with the Watermill before got in touch and said you know we're doing this Prince Festival, we'd really like Lone Fly to be a part of it. Um, come and do a month's run, which was just amazing. Um, so we re rehearsed it again, I think in like three days, <laughs> a full length play. It was, it was bonkers. Um, and from there, we were shortlisted for five. Uh, no, yes, long listed for five and then shortlisted for two offies, which was just amazing. So, um, myself and uh, Benedict Salter, who was uh, one of the actors in the production was shortlisted and then yeah I, absolutely out of the blue 
one. <laughs> was not expecting it at all. Um, but it had been on such a journey, that show, in so many ways, and it came at just the right time for, for all of us working on it. You know, it was the first show back indoors at the Watermill after the pandemic, and then we got to do it again. And then we took it to Hull Truck, which is where Amy Johnson, who the, the play is about, she was from Hull, which was just amazing. It's just like homecoming for her story. Um, yeah, and it, it, it pushed, I think, working in so, a socially distanced environment in theatre really pushed us all in that room to think really, we had to be so creative in terms of how do you show physical intimacy when you're two metres away from each other, mm. you know? How do you create all these different environments when, you, when you're on a stage that's four metres wide and you have to be two metres <laughs> away from each other? Um, so it really helped my own my own practice and I've taken that on to all of my future projects and it was act musician partly act musician as well which is the theatre that I've sort of ended up specializing in which I love um which Caligari is which is very exciting Mm. and talking about Caligari that's this year's fringe play and it's written Mm. by Georgie and directed by yourself Lucy um what inspired you to write it well, it's been quite a long time coming, this project, to be honest. Um, Hal and I were obsessed with this film uh, for quite a while. Um, and we'd always like talk about, like, oh, wouldn't that be, like, an incredible project to do? Like, if we could only ever do that, that would be that would be great. Like, we could start. It would be amazing. Um, <laughs> so we then sort of, we were, we were chatting to Lucy and also our technical manager, Chloe, um, and our training director, Selwyn, about it as well. And we sort of we we were sort of thinking like well we're starting to kind of like grow the company a bit we're starting to like scale up our projects a little bit more um and we actually started kind of thinking about okay what if we actually did this project like what would it actually look like what would kind of benefit all of our skills most um how could we kind of like keep pushing the boundaries of what we wanted to do so it it really did come from like a real collaborative conversation and something that we were all very much invested in and something that we actually felt the, I mean, I don't want to get too political about it, but the longer that this government is in, the more relevant this play is going to be. Um, so it's the kind of idea that um, we started kind of like drawing out the relevance that's, that this film still kind of carries now. Uh, and the idea of like, how can we now make that resonate with a with a modern audience and how uh, mainly the, the main thing that we were kind of interested in was actually the challenges that the film presented. Obviously, it's a silent film. Uh, it's set in the 1920s it's a very distinct style Uh, the music is such a large part of the language of the storytelling Um, so for us actually it was about tackling those challenges and going okay how can we actually make this theatrical Um, and then yeah we we sort of put the idea forward once we've been chatting about it for quite some time uh, to the untapped award with new diorama and then it was sort of a bit of a snowball, to be honest. Yeah. It kind of just happened. happened very quickly. <laughs> um, and they were sort of like, yeah, like, come and show us 15 minutes. And we were like, oh, okay. Better get 15 minutes together. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lucy had just been working at Rose Bruford. So uh, very luckily, we managed to work with four incredible uh, recent graduate, just graduating this year, actor musicians who are also now in the cast as well, which is very nice. Um and then from there, they really liked it. And we're like, yeah, come and do it in Edinburgh. So here we are. Here's, here's uh, the up to date, basically. And has it brought any challenges, Lucy, to the way that you've worked previously? or? 
And it, what's great is that it's it's sort of pulling together all the different strands of how I work, which is great. I love working with new writing. I love working with actor musicians. Um, I've taken productions to the Edinburgh Fringe before several times, so know the sort of limitations that that can bring and and how that that pushes you in a creative environment. So it, it it's. Um, it's just a real joy to, to be in be in the room and, and yeah, as I said, sort of pull all these strands together. Um, it's, we're just having the best time, <laughs> which is just really nice. <laughs> Talk to me about the, the set and the design for that, because obviously taking on a 1920s film is completely different to what maybe today's theatre audiences are you used to or would expect in a theatre building uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah I mean we we've been very influenced by the the 1920s film you know German expressionism and these like very sharp angular set pieces um, and actually the, the the sets of the film themselves are what inspired us to to create an actor musician piece because you can see the brush strokes of the paint on these beautiful dystopian set pieces in the film. And it felt like that to me feels like acting musicianship is, is you're showing the brush strokes, you're showing the work. Uh, so if that it, it's sort of come full circle in that that inspired us to create acting musician work. And now we're going back to this, the, the designs in terms of, mirroring what was in the film itself and Hal has actually designed this beautiful cabinet <laughs> that's sort of multifunctional and very angular and um shadowy and um spooky <laughs> <laughs> for want of a better word um that also again it's Edinburgh you know we've got 15 minutes in 15 minutes out so it's it's what can we create in a short amount of time that's going to have a real impact and what's also great is that we have we've got a double bass and a cello and a violin and two flutes and guitars and all sorts. So they become part of the set in the same way that you can see the brush strokes on, on those set pieces in the film. You can see what we're using to create the work in front of you when you enter the space, which is really special. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's unhinged <laughs> <laughs> where it's sort of embracing the, like the long shadows of German expressionism, I think is, is really important. Well, I like the sound of it. I think it sounds amazing <laughs> to be honest with you. you oh, so you've you. sold me a ticket right away. I love all sorts of like musical theatre, but um, music can plays as well. I think there's something really special about that. Mm. Um, can you tell me a bit about the characters and the play itself? And can you tell us more about that perspective that you've taken on the play using mm. the characters and the storytelling? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, we didn't want it to just be a copy and paste from the film. We wanted it to be inspired by it. And we talked about giving the story back to the victims as opposed to focusing on the, the antagonist, on the, on the mass murderer. Um, for for me, that was incredibly important. And again, if you look at, pick up a newspaper, you know, or look on a news app or whatever you want to do, you know, any at any point in the past, however many years, and there are 
you see these stories every day. And it, it, the example I use in the rehearsal room all the time, which is slightly more ancient, is that we all remember the name Jack the Ripper. I couldn't name any of the victims. And it feels like they're the ones that we should be remembering and thinking of. So for us, that's 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 what we wanted to do, was to take the story back and give it to the victims of the story themselves. Mm. Yeah, and I think... I think what was really crucial for us was, so the 1920s film has such a core cast of characters. Um, so it was important for us to kind of, which obviously they don't have, we don't know what they sound like. We don't know what their voice is. We don't know how they speak. All we have is the kind of silent movie cards to kind of give us a bit of a connotation of like how they, how what the rhythms are of what they speak in. So it's been really interesting for us to kind of work out how these characters sound and what kind of style we want to put on them. So in the writing process, I did a lot of research into German expressionist plays, um, which kind of led on, kind of like inspired a lot of Brecht's work and all this kind of stuff. So the play's style is very madcap, um, for want of a better word. It's quite <laughs> chaotic um, and kind of flits between this uh, kind of like purgatory kind of world where these victims are living and kind of actually having these debates about how they should tell this story and, and how how they can best or is it right to be reliving their trauma for an audience and should they be doing this and all this kind of stuff and actually putting that question onto the audience. Um, and I think that was really important for us to kind of have that conversation in the play of, uh, what is the best way to do this and how, how best do you kind of, um, have conversations around things that are really difficult to talk about and things that we don't often talk about, like death isn't a thing that we talk about that often. And I think particularly hearing from victims themselves is quite, a uh, quite a can be quite a difficult place to put an audience so I think what we're trying to do is kind of approach that with a mixture of light and dark and trying to kind of invite the audience in into a comfortable space where they feel like they can have that conversation um and yeah that's been really crucial for us mm, I think yeah, um so yeah I realize as well we haven't really spoken actually about the film like like <laughs> should, do you want us to kind of offer a bit about that if that's helpful well that's what I was going to come on to next like tell us about the film what the film's about and what kind of brought you to kind of say out of all those films why this one mm-hmm. so <laughs> this is where I need Hal because he's really good at summing it up um so the play is inspired by a 1920s German expressionist film, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which um, is widely considered uh, arguably as one of the, or the first example of a horror film. Um, so it's created in that very, in well, as I said, like that expressionist style. So it's like the broad brushstrokes, it's um, the kind of warped sets, it's uh, kind of like very dark and very shadowy and and there's a lot that kind of more more than meets the eye basically um so the general plot is kind of this idea of uh it's it's in a frame narrative so we start in this undisclosed location and the main character francis is talking to someone else and then the the entirety of the film is him recounting this event which happened in his home in Holstenwall in germany uh which has led him to this point then a load of stuff happens. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> that was really good. That was really good, that wasn't was really it? Good I was doing really well. Um, I have written this play, I promise you. <laughs> uh, and then basically, um, there's there's a fair that comes to the, to the town, and Calig- this this ethereal kind of character called Caligari comes in with a somnambulist, so a sleepwalker, um, who, which is his act, who lives in a cabinet. And basically, after uh, the first night when Caligari gets there, a string of murders take place 
uh, and there's a lot of kind of anarchy and chaos around it. There's like a fake murderer in there who gets mistaken for Cesare. Like there's there's so all much, this confusion. So much Barry. Which <laughs> which to be honest with you, Barry has been half the challenge of adapting it is working out what we actually need. Um, so it's there's the and then a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> this is terrible i think i think the main thing (laughs) the the main thing is it's incredibly allegorical in terms of Mm. um reflecting the 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 somber and distraught and um lost sort of um societal feeling of 1920s germany post-war you know, this essentially destroyed country with the financially crippled um, and the divide between classes and um, sort of political parties really widening. Um, it's such a comment on that, isn't it? And it really successfully portrays how utterly lost the these people must have felt um, in, in terms of... In terms of um, being betrayed by authority figures and and being you know led into a war that they didn't want to fight for mm. four years, um, and so it's fascinating then to to expose parallels between you know post war Weimar Republic and contemporary United Kingdom. Um, it's 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 been really eye-opening in in many ways actually Mm. yeah and it was because it was also written by the original screenplay was written by two world war one veterans uh who both kind of left the um left the war with this real as lucy was saying like distrust of authority Mm. figures and this idea that uh we couldn't trust anything that came out of their mouths and that we needed to you know rise up as as a country but the idea of like the unwillingness to do that because is it better to be safe as a country or is it better to uh, rise up against something that you don't agree with? Mm. Um, and the ending of the film comes back to the end of that frame narrative uh, where then we actually realise that supposedly Caligari isn't an evil villain, monster creature. Uh, he's actually the um, director of an asylum and effectively labels uh, Francis as and the rest of the characters as insane. So, And it's this idea of then the unreliable narrator but also then who do we trust as an audience who should we trust as an audience and how do we get our information um which i think as lucy was saying is so prevalent now with the idea of uh you know where do we get our information from the idea of fake news like all these kind of things Mm -hmm. so for us adapting it as well it's been this idea of trying not to hammer those points home but trying to kind of reference them enough so that it leaves that space for an audience to kind of open up that conversation with themselves and with chew on and chew on and there you go oh and the other part of your question sorry we've been rabbiting on um now that we finally got through what the film is um and the reason why it kind of spoke to us the most was um as i said like hal and i have been obsessed with this film for a while but also in terms of like the chew boy style and what we're interested in making and the work that we that we like to portray we love like kind of creating these surreal worlds where an audience can chew on the ideas that are within there without kind of slapping them across the face with them and all this kind of stuff. So we kind of felt that actually Caligari was a big challenge for us and a big step up for us to kind of uh, 
continue building that work and building those worlds that we wanted to make, um, but also kind of try and take them somewhere new and challenge all of us to do something new as well. Like I've, I've never adapted uh, a, a piece before. Um, so it's been a real, yeah, it's been a really interesting process. And I think, to be honest, definitely one we do again, but I don't know what other film we'd do or what other thing we'd do because uh, this was it. <laughs> this was the one. Tell me about that process because I love what's coming across really clear is how you used to work. So how was this play different from the previous productions that you have have done? But also another point is it sounds to me as if you're dealing with quite a lot of horror and that's a kind of topic we never really play around with in theatre, which I love to play around with or go to plays that deal with that so how's that been and how's the process of working together been different on this project Hmm. I think I think the main difference is that we've had source material whereas other projects we've we've we know a sort of broad sense of a, a subject we might want to tackle or an idea that we might want to explore um, that we'll discuss and we'll throw ideas around and then Georgie will go away and um, take all those ideas and put them into a brilliant play. Whereas with this, it was, okay, here's this source material. What do we want to draw from it? What do we want to leave having having discovered? Um, but other than that, it's worked very much in the same way as mm-hmm. as, as per. Although we, we had a we had an it's been slightly different actually because we've had more performers than ever before and they were active musicians um and you know in previous productions Georgie and Hal have performed in them uh so it's it's that's been incredibly different mm. uh in terms of their input which is really really vital and, and how we build music into this world and uh which I just love it's my favorite theater to make so mm-hmm. they've been incredible it's also just a larger scale than we've ever done before, mm. <laughs> which is exciting and also slightly daunting, but we're taking it in our stride, mm. right? Yeah. Great. Oh, we are, definitely. <laughs> no, no, we are. We are. Um... We'll be back right after this message. King of Scotland is an award-winning dark comedy and a free adaptation of Gogo's A Diary of a Madman. Long-term unemployed Jamesy McMillan joins a government-funded retraining scheme called Up the Ladder. King of Scotland is an outrageous Fringe First winning monologue and was in the Fringe Festival winning three stars as what the paper says is an amazing performance of real theatre. Get it now wherever you get your audiobooks and for more information visit our website thegreyhill.com Actually a Horse and carriage descent. They shut down the M8 motorway for the day. Be a major sacrifice for a modern industrialised nation. Luckily, Scotland isn't one. Know that Scotland's a banana republic either. Oh no, because Scotland's a banana. Crowds waving at me all along the route to Edinburgh, seemingly. I couldn't see them. Horse and carriage was fortified to prevent assassination attempts. Turns out. Edinburgh Castle's actually quite a long way from Edinburgh. Out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere. Lovely people though. Uninhibited. And some very accomplished speakers of gibberish. A joy to listen to. That was King of Scotland by Ian Heggie. For more audio theatre, visit our website, thegreyhill.com. 
com. And now, back to your podcast. Well, no, just to build off that as well, I think um, what's been really interesting, like for me, I mean, we were sort of speaking about this today, actually, is that uh, as Lucy was saying, like usually like I'll be in it or it's it's like, like a lot of a smaller scale. So like with DJ Baz, for instance, it was just a solo show and stuff. So for me as a writer, it's really interesting being uh, part of a process for the company with Lucy directing and actually not being involved like just just having a writer's role in it uh and it's it's been quite an interesting process for me of going okay right um like just trying to kind of work out where things need to be kind of changed uh, script wise and what will come further in the process with other elements and stuff so i think like that's been quite an interesting uh difference in this kind of process and also because uh obviously when you're um performing the work you can tell what doesn't work for you and stuff like that and then you can go oh, okay yeah that line's not working all this passage needs needs work and stuff but whereas we've got a very talented cast I must say uh, I'm not just gassing them up so uh, it's just this thing of like they will do everything pretty brilliantly so then it's them working out okay what isn't you know working quite as well for, for you all and what what can we actually work on and stuff like that because I'm not getting that kind of like first-hand experience on it don't really know what this is answering but here we are um but <laughs> yeah it's it's been different for that reason for me, and the horror element is really interesting um because I mean we're creating loads of soundscapes and playing our instruments out oh, our instruments sounds like I play an instrument <laughs> I can play the kazoo at best um <laughs> In, in unusual and different ways and creating shapes with the instruments as well as um, sounds, which is really adding to the sort of horror aspect of it because think of any horror film, any big famous horror film, and quite often it's the soundtrack that you remember. Um, or even a thriller, like Jaws is a character and it has two notes, like mm. incredible. So so for in terms of my perspective, the horror aspect of it has been building that world through the music and the, the, the sounds that we're creating. Mm. Um, and also playing with the, the extremes of, of emotion because we jump very quickly from completely ridiculous and comedic to something much more hard hitting um, emotionally. And it's, it's, I think it's important for it to feel quite jarring in the same way that a, a, a jump scare might in a cinema. Mm. <laughs> So it's it's creating those dynamics in a in a theatrical um, experience, I suppose. Yeah. What would you say if you could sum up the one thing that's been most challenging about this production for you both? What's your biggest learning curve so far? Working with George. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that go was on, a joke. Go on. go on, go on, finish that sentence. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> challenges challenges um i think for for me for me i'll tell you God, I'll tell you um no just purely from like a writing point of view um it's what i've what i've learned from this process and what i'm what i'm still learning as well is like actually giving less is more in this kind of thing particularly when you work with active musicians particularly when the world is so big and when you've got so many other like elements of research and history to be kind of like contending with and dealing with actually providing less offers more space in the room to be able to play with moments and play around with certain things and and actually just trying to be open and just trying to be like okay cool like how can we kind of like reshape this and and work out 
how it looks and how it sounds um, before necessarily like where we need to get to uh, or it's, it's like working out what the most important element is for this particular bit and more often than not it's like okay we need to hand this over and let let the fun happen and let the play happen to kind of find what that best version of it is um, which is often the case mm. but I think for this particularly when we have a big cast and when there's so many other things to like to contend with in the process uh yeah it's it that's been it, uh, is that a challenge yeah it's quite an, it's, it's a good challenge to it's have it's a great that, challenge doesn't challenge doesn't have to be a bad doesn't thing. have to be negative there we go um for me it's not necessarily about the the piece itself it's it's about um work-life balance and i think the challenge for me is not overthinking <laughs> and not putting pressure on myself i think i think within this industry you know when you're making your own work when you're self-producing which we which we are which is incredible and we're really lucky to be doing it it's very easy to leave the rehearsal room and take all of all of this whatever stress or or work that you're thinking about for the next day still on your shoulders as you go home and for me it's so important to have try and establish some kind of work-life balance so you know by seven or eight o'clock I don't look at my work emails um, I don't read through the script for the next day after that point. You know, I try because I think otherwise it's just not sustainable for us as human beings. Um, and I think for me, like a, a happy and safe and fun rehearsal room is always going to be the most creative. And for me to create that environment, I need to make sure that I'm looking after myself so that I can look after everyone else in the room. So I think for me, certainly with this project, that's something that I'm aware of that I need to continue to do throughout the process. I'm so glad that you said that because I think as audience members, we are used to going to see a product and then going home. Whereas I think when you're creating or you're starting out, you're doing multiple jobs, there is no income coming in so you're putting on more and more pressure and then there's only you to blame so thank you very much for saying that because I too have experienced that and it's difficult right I think that's one thing to go to drama school but what they never tell you is what it's like to be a self-employed business person (laughs) so so thank you for sharing that yeah it's because you can't just walk away from your desk at the end of the day and go home Hmm. it's it's your desk's in your pocket (laughs) um and I think it's it I think, I hope that the industry as a whole is moving in the right direction and people are speaking up and able to to say and share their experiences uh, and and to that we are looking out for each other. And I think that's what the future of this theater, this industry is, is is kindness towards other people. You know, and most of the jobs I've had, I've got through through recommendations from people I've worked with or or um, word of mouth or what, whatever it may be. And it's there's just this like mad idea that we're all in, in competition with each other. Mm. <laughs> and it's just not, it doesn't have to be the case. And I think there's therefore that pressure for us as freelancers to just like work, 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 mm. you know, and when, where do we stop? And therefore, if we don't, the work that we, we create isn't, isn't going to be as brilliant as it could be because we're all just exhausted mm. and we're on this sort of hamster's wheel. Um, and I know it's, it's hard because 
you've also got to like pay your rent and eat mm. and <laughs> travel into work if you're rehearsing every day and all of that stuff it's just I don't know when I'm an old lady <laughs> and I'm on a porch <laughs> with a blanket and like sick cats or whatever <laughs> I really want to be able to look back and go I I feel like I was able to provide a really lovely environment for people to work in not like I worked on this show or that show or at that theatre for me it's about like the experience in the room that's the most important and if I don't look after myself I can't provide that it's as simple as so that, true really. talking about competition and needing your strength uh, it's the French festival in Edinburgh one of the biggest festivals in the UK um when is the show on how do we get tickets and where do we come to see the show? So it's on for the month, uh, which is so from the 4th to the 28th of August, um, with a day off at some point. I can't remember yeah. when it is. No, can I? Um, so we'll have, we'll have a look at that. Um, and we're on an Underbelly Cowgate at 6.30 every single night. Um, and we've also got previews in London uh, at the new diorama on the 26th and 27th of July as well. Um, so that's us. And yeah, you can get tickets on uh, the Edinburgh Fringe website uh, and the Underbelly website as well. So two different avenues. Uh, <laughs> take your pick, whatever you like. And tickets for the previews are on the new Diorama website mm. as well. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, I've loved talking to you. Um, please, please don't be a stranger. <laughs> uh, I'm wishing you all the best for the Fringe. I will try my best to get over and see you. Um, at the moment, we've got... Um, train issues <laughs> so my last train is at half seven at night from glasgow to get me home which yeah. is ridiculous hopefully it'll be fixed in time for the fringe um, i'll put links on the website and this podcast so that everybody can see that and just before uh, we finish the podcast chat how do people follow you and find out more about you um so we're on we're on everything um as, <laughs> as you can expect uh so we're on twitter at two boy prods um which we should probably look at that. like i don't know two boy prods is quite aggressive um and we're also on instagram at two boy productions uh we're on facebook as well uh, and our website is www.tubeworldproductions.com um, and we always just encourage anyone just to get in touch and drop us a line if they just want to have a chat or if they have an idea that they've got burning away um, we always want to meet new people so yeah just give us a shout don't be a stranger as well and uh, yeah <laughs> thank you good. so much for having us yeah, we've had a lovely you. time it's been great <laughs> thank you very much guys Thanks for listening to another Insights podcast. If you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, then contact us via thegreyhill.com and clicking on the Contact Us banner at the bottom right-hand corner of the page. And you too could be featured in one of our episodes.